Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 277th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Stephen Kepfer, who has been on the show before. Thanks, Stephen, for joining our Patreon. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Hey, other guests, take a hit from Stephen. Yeah. Just because you're on the show doesn't mean you can't give us some money, too. That's pretty cool. I think Jordan Brady was one of our first uh, big patrons. Yeah. First yeah, double thanks. digit, double digit patron, and Matt Barber. We got we have a lot of a lot of supporters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm giving people a hard time. So we are catching up today a little bit, and also answering listener questions. We've got a pair of voicemails. I think there's plenty of stuff to mine from both of those voicemails. So we'll dig in. But before we do that, Oren, I'm dying to know what have you been working on lately, and why do you sound so bad? Yeah, I am recording on my iPhone from a hotel room in downtown Philadelphia. I'm here to film some football players. I'm like lost track because it's not the NFL is not in season right now. So I'm filming eight different football players in five different cities in the country. But the cities don't necessarily correspond to the team they play for because they're like all on vacation. Sure. Yeah. They live wherever they grew up or wherever they went to college or wherever the heck they want to live. Yeah. Yeah. They took their family this week. So it'll be like, oh, you know, so and so rescheduled. Uh, Now you don't you can't shoot them in L.A. You have to shoot them in Buffalo or Philadelphia or whatever. So. Uh, it's been hell on my family, to be honest. The producer I'm with right now asked me if I like travel jobs. And I was like, you know, I used to like them, but I'm kind of over them. Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I I talk about this sometimes, but I did a lot of travel jobs about two or three years ago. It was a, there was a stint of time where I was out of town once a month. And I remember I was traveling oftentimes with a host who would travel once a week, twice a week, sometimes back to back. With a host? Really. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the host of uh, of the series that I was doing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Are we and, still not allowed uh, to talk about what it is? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we can say it was for uh, Ellen. Yeah, it's Jeannie, right? Yeah, it's Jeannie. Yeah, Jeannie. You know, I ran into her, like, I think I ran into her in the airport twice. She's always, it's like she's the one with the film crew. Yeah, with the crew, and she's like, well, Jeannie, you know, I've always really admired and I think she's so funny, And but she travels all the time and she really does a good job of kind of setting the rules of when it's time for her to go to bed. And I feel like there's a funny thing, especially when you're younger of like, you know, the crew's like, hey, we're all going out for pizza and beers. Let's go. And like that part of it can be especially exhausting. And it's I think it's unique when you're doing commercials in particular, because oftentimes that is a part of the job. And it took me genuinely a few years to figure that out like that you like building camaraderie with agency people is not only fun and 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 cool because there's a lot of great people to to get to know but also like is a way for you to better understand each other and like 
get to know each other and, and ideally build a relationship where you can work together in the future. And it, that gets more tiring for sure. Oh, yeah. It wasn't this wasn't at all part of on, on our agenda of things to talk about. But it is interesting when you are younger and you're starting out in the film industry like there's a lot of kind of FOMO going on, right? Like, oh, so-and-so is going out for drinks with this producer, with this actor, with this thing. Like, I should go there and I should be there and it would be great to be there. And like, maybe they can give me a job. Maybe I can get to know them. Maybe I can just have fun. Or maybe you can be like everyone after, you know, we wrap set is going to this bar and maybe the person I like from the crew is going to be there and we can get to know each other. You know, there's like, I guess it's just a lot of like really wanting to be a part of the group and to meet people. And then as you get older and more tired and, you know, you have more kind of other obligations and maybe are and less you've single. done that a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. 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 Then it does become like you have to remind yourself, yes, it's fun, you know, and it's great and you eat and drink and whatever. But also it does often, you know, it is part of building your network, which is how you get hired to do jobs or to send people scripts or to pitch or to find creative partners. And it's interesting how now I'm like, like tonight, you know, I'm here in Philadelphia, the DP is an East Coast DP. And we have like a producer here that I don't really know. He's also from the East Coast. And like, it totally makes sense for work for us to all to get together and have dinner and have drinks. But I'm just like, just want to take a nap. And I don't feel like if tomorrow morning, they're all talking about the shots they took tonight, I'll be like, Oh, thank God I wasn't there. You know, Like, that's not something (laughs) I was interested in, but at 10 years ago, I would be like, ah, oh, they all became best friends and I feel left out, you know? It's interesting. Yeah. I remember actually on a genie job, the best moment of a trip in Hawaii was like driving one of the picture cars alone along the coast. I think about it all the time. Oh, well, that's, like that's just the, like the a opportunity. romantic in a different way. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I mean, I guess it's, look, we're talking about this job affords rare and unique experiences but it comes with a lot of baggage it comes with a lot of strings attached right like you know especially on that show like i, I was zip lining i was traveling over the all over the world we were doing crazy stunts we were like you know making people's dreams come true and it was neat and fun but also like you're still like as you're bungee jumping or whatever you're thinking okay, okay how do i cover this you know like they're like on that trip to hawaii literally the only time i ever my feet touched the water was when I was on monitor and needed to get out of the shot. And so it was smarter to get into the water because of like where the cameras were pointed. That was literally the only time we did it. Right. Yeah. You know, so like, yes, I'm in Hawaii, but, uh, but also like I'm not doing the things that one does in Hawaii necessarily. Yeah, for sure. I, I saw some friends yesterday and I mentioned that I was going to Philadelphia today and they're like, Ooh, you know, so-and-so's from Philadelphia. Should we give you some recommendations? And I was like, no, you're like, no. Yeah. Sometimes on like a commercial job, there will be a tiny lull where all of the producers are busy, right? Like they're prepping the pre-pro books or something like that. And you get like a little half day after you've done your tech scout, all the fittings, all that stuff has happened. And like everybody else is genuinely super busy and doesn't want to be responsible for entertaining you or taking care of you in any way. And if that works out, it is nice to do a little bit of sightseeing. And I can remember a few times like when birds were brand new, like the, you know, the electric scooters, it was like the perfect thing to just like explore a city with, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, and having it, some good times doing that. Traveling is fun for sure. And I think 
If you have like us, I'm wearing a scout on Tuesday, then you have a down day on Wednesday or just a pre-pro meeting, then you're going to shoot on Thursday. Then yeah, of course that Wednesday you're going to check out a restaurant or a park or something cool. But I don't know, because we live in LA and because we work so much on the in Eastern Standard Time, it's, I don't know, it, it's fun. But I also would be so happy if like 100% of the rest of my jobs for the next two years were in LA. That said... If they're not in LA, I will happily do your job. Hire me. (laughs) But it's just easier. The other thing I've been thinking about, which is kind of similar to this, is a lot of my jobs recently have been like really difficult. And when I say difficult, I usually mean that like things aren't going exactly as planned and we're running behind on the schedule and we're having to cut shots and having to compromise and maybe having to get versions of things that either I don't like or I don't think are necessary the other day I was on a shoot and I was like, you know, if this was my short film, I would just like be like, I love that. Let's try more of that. And let's go with this and let's do this version. Ooh, yeah, let's let's go for that for all the rest of the takes. But I can't do that on a commercial because they I have to capture what was approved in the script by the legal department, all that stuff. But it made me think like I, I actually had a shoot that I, you know, I, it was fun, but I I wasn't like really having that much fun. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, this is the reason we do this is to is because we like it and it's really fun, you know, and like trying to find the fun almost at the expense of coverage and angles and shots and cool moves. Like I kind of want to refine that like joy of just being on set and working with actors and okay, we can't get my cool dolly shot. That's fine. We'll just, you know, do a really nice close up and go for a nice performance and it's okay. It's not yeah, the world. it's funny. I th- I think that um, there's always an ebb and flow to careers where it's like, oh, it's so awesome. Like when you first start out, it's cool to be making something. And like how, how cool to just hear actors say the words that you wrote or that you worked on or whatever. Or like, to, oh, it's gratifying that the scene came together and that you're covered properly and all that stuff. And then that gets a little old, but it gets cool to just be paid to direct is really awesome. And you're like, I can't believe this is my job. And then at a certain point, you've done a bunch of those projects over and over again and you feel like you're repeating yourself and then you level up and then it's like oh man it's so awesome that i get to use this gear and look how big my crew is and it's going to be on tv and maybe my parents will see it all that stuff is cool and you know so it's always just cycles but i think that um you know i think Orin, you in particular you leveled up about two years ago i would say give or take into a thing that i think you were really excited about stuff but it does the politics of things and the um the competition the competition certainly but also just like the the level of execution becomes really tricky because you you have to push for higher standards because you're working at a higher level and so that that can be complicated and 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 becomes less about the like let's just shoot it mentality and more of like no the reason you hired me is so that we would get this perfect. And so I have to get it perfect. And that comes with a bunch of stress. Yeah. I can, I can think of a handful of times where I'm like, why do I do this? What, this isn't fun right now for sure. Yeah. And it's like, um, I don't know. Sometimes I post think, is almost always fun. Post. Yeah. Unless you yeah. hate the cut, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that. It made me think of uh, advice payment once gave me uh, when I was first starting out, he was like, always turn in the funniest cut as the director's cut. As opposed Even to, if, as opposed to the cut that specifically matches the expectations of the client and everything, you know, like if you disagree with someone and you got two versions, show them the version you believe in 
and may- maybe you can change their mind on a few things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are obviously politics that come into play there in terms of like the producer even being cool with you showing your cut to clients or things like that. Yeah. I'm kind of going through something like this right now where it's like our talent has to approve the cut and I want her to see my cut because I feel like we're kind of in sync comedy wise, but the agency wants them her to see their cut, which is fine because they, they, it's the cut they like better, which I totally get. But then I feel like she's going to judge me based on their cut. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a thing that's complicated and hard. Yeah, yeah so. for sure. Yeah, I am up for a travel job that uh, will take me out of town for a week in early August. And I was thinking about it because typically when a director is hired, you're paid by the shoot day, which is a frankly a pretty dumb way to do it because the amount of work that two shoot days takes is not double the amount of work that a single shoot take day takes necessarily you know so it's not like a perfect system but a travel day does take you out of pocket take you out of the running for other jobs in a pretty significant way and typically i'd love to hear your thoughts on this but typically you know you're not getting a ton of cash for that. Maybe you're getting a, a nice per diem, which is really nice. Sometimes people are getting like a half day, like a soft prep day. I think right. What's a per diem? Get. You're stipend for, uh, it's meant to be for like food and, you know, any amenities that you need while you're traveling. So it's like a hundred bucks a day or something. Yeah. A hundred bucks a day or something. So it's not nothing. And typically most of the time your meals are taken care of. And most of the time they're ordering Ubers for you and stuff. And so you kind of end up, getting to pocket that money they, they think of it as a little bit of a bonus which is nice you know little little walking around money but it's not it's not the same as if you were able to say take a job the day before that shoot day for instance right you know yeah if you do a local job that's pretty much automatically two less days that you have to spend on that job right yeah 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 i mean again i don't know it it's it's weird I, like the way i've been thinking about money recently is there's a certain amount of money I need to average per month for to be happy. And if it all comes in January and none of it comes in February, that's fine, you know, as long as my average is right. So same with travel jobs, like, you know, I might be doing a job that pays like nothing and it takes a week of my life and then I have a job that pays really well and it takes like half a day. But they all kind of average out and hopefully there's something about each job that I'm excited about. Before we dive into our questions, I think it's worth it to bring up, I've talked about many times how I keep track of when my jobs happen and that typically things slow down right before the 4th of July, everyone's on vacation and they tend to pick up a week or two thereafter. And things had been slow for me there for a minute and I was like getting a little antsy, I was getting a little bummed about it. And this last week and then certainly this week, things have picked up in a really significant way, which is nice and not, not meant to sound like a brag, but more to sound like to just remind people that like those cycles continue to happen, you know? And so I think that it's nice that work is back basically. And that, you know, if you're still feeling a little dry, I'm not saying sit back and wait for the phone to ring, but like, you know, shake some trees, maybe have some coffees, you know, remind people that you're out there and that you're looking for stuff. But like, you know, uh, work is getting back. Yeah. Um, I think things are picking up. I feel like you've been feeling it. You've been feeling it for the last, two months i would guess right yeah you've been busy i mean in general like between post and production i've been pretty busy and i I even like shot a couple of my own things that i never really got to 
edit and but work I'm saying on directing work. Like the the post stuff is different because it's like you know you don't have a ton of control over you know. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, directing has been pretty good, but it's what I've noticed recently is that because there is a lot more work, it just. I seem to be getting it, you know, like more where before it's like, hey, mm-hmm. we're considering you. We have like seven other directors sure. for this. Like that's that's there's certain yeah, things yeah, yeah. we're looking for in a director. Now it's like, do you have a pulse? Do you know how to direct? OK, you're are you available? Right. Yeah, like, yeah. And and even now, like I was up for this job that was a pretty cool job. And it was between me and two other directors. And the, actually, one of the directors has been on our podcast before. And they're they're both really great directors. And they were like, you know, Oren, we like you. We like your idea and everything, but your schedule just doesn't make sense. We need someone that's more available for this. And I was like, I totally understand that. But are you, do you honestly want to tell me that these other two directors are more available? Like, I, you know, I know these directors, they work all the time. Like, I guarantee you, if they're telling you they're available, they're also not available. I'm just being honest <laughs> with you about my unavailability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you should turn off your calendar sharing um, on your. Yeah. G a little bit more. <laughs> well, I found that I have to tell people about other jobs because otherwise yeah. they just keep planning things in the middle of other things. So anyway, so should we talk? I'm sure I'm sure a lot we'll touch on a lot more of this stuff as we talk about these listener 100%. questions. Let's do it. Okay, so first listener question from comes from Emilio Miguel Torres. Um, let's listen to his question. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi there, Matt and Oren. Uh, this is Emilio Miguel Torres. My Twitter handle is at Emilio Films. And so here's my question. During the pandemic, it seems to me that more people than ever before have become interested in filmmaking and people who are already filmmakers learn new skills and expanded their knowledge a ton thanks to more free time. And while this is amazing as it leads to more and better filmmakers in our industry, this can be challenging as there seems to be an influx of both newer creators as well as highly skilled creators. This is a challenge because while I don't consider myself a new filmmaker by any means, I still wouldn't consider myself an experienced and highly skilled one yet either. So, Matt and Oren, my question for you is, what can someone like me, a young filmmaker with a few years of knowledge under my belt, do to try and differentiate myself from all of the new creators in the field while also not trying to oversell my ability? My goal is to use my short films and current freelance video work to try and maneuver into a position where I can freelance direct commercials like you two, and then hopefully one day direct narrative work, but the gap just seems really far at the moment. So any advice or ideas would be greatly appreciated. Huge fan of the podcast. Appreciate you both. Thanks, Miguel. Yeah, thanks, Miguel. Uh, So there's two parts to this question that I think are worth talking about. Uh, The first part is this idea that competition continues to get steeper, and I want to dig in on that a little bit. And then the second part is the question of how to stand out and also how to not oversell your skills or abilities early on when you're still kind of like honing your craft a little bit more. Uh, Emilio's kind of like fresh out of film school. He's made some awesome stuff, knows a thing or two certainly, but doesn't want to be like, hey, I'm, you know, uh, old hat at this point. So let's start with the first thing first, the idea that more people have skilled up and are interested in filmmaking because they were in the pandemic and had a little bit of time on their hands to get better at things. And I would say that while that may feel anecdotally true and may literally be true to me, I do not think that it matters in the slightest bit because the amount of competition in filmmaking in general is, has already redlined. Like, what do you mean by redline? Like hit the max? Like it's, it's already hit, it's already hit a critical mass of people to the point where it is, insanely odds against you hard to break out as a filmmaker like it's already super super duper hard and and it's impossible for it to get harder by adding incrementally more people well sure i mean i i agree and i agree and disagree like i agree it's it's very difficult to get famous it's very difficult to get a studio project whether it's a tv show or a film I think to make a living as a director, you know, if you're willing to do certain things, if you start a production company that does industrial commercials for eBay or whatever, you can probably make very good money and be directing, you know, corporate CEO type people to say things on camera and light them nice. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not that it's impossible. Certainly it's not. That's the, the point of this podcast is, is to encourage people. But I guess I find solace in knowing that the competition is always going to be hard 
So the only thing you can do is kick ass, right? I think about like, somebody asked this question of Quentin Tarantino once upon a time. And he was like, I'm not worried about it at all. Because my script has to be fucking nitro for anyone to give a shit. And that's always the truth. You always have to be like, you always have to make something that's awesome in order to stand out. And so whether there's 10 other people who are making something awesome or there's a billion people making something awesome, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But I guess just as a corollary to that story, when I first moved to LA, I'm sure I told the story, I um, got an internship reading scripts for the Sundance Screenwriting Lab. And they would give us a few sample scripts and, and have us do coverage on them. And based on how we did that coverage, they would decide whether we had the right taste profile to be reading scripts for the Sundance Lab. And one thing I remember distinctly is in the orientation, they said that Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, as great of a film as it is and how it kind of like is part of what made Sundance big, that script today, if they got that exact same script, would probably not make it into the lab. And I guess the point is that, you know, Tarantino was original for his time, but, you know, now if you did a Tarantino script, it because so many other people have done that thing, um, it probably wouldn't stand out. So... Yeah. Is it harder? Are there more people in the game? Like, are you competing against TikTokers and YouTubers and kids and documentarians and someone, you know, whatever that shoots an octopus for a year that, you know, who knows how much they did it on their own or not? But uh, yeah, it's hard. But I think if you want to find a way, Emilio, to make yourself feel better about it, I can guarantee you that a lot of people quit this business during COVID uh, as well. You know, a lot of people went back home. There was no work for like a year. They were trying to figure out what to do with their life, maybe found other things, maybe realize that there are things that are more important to them than the hustle of like Hollywood. So for all these people that would ever learn Blender and like wrote a screenplay, there's the same number of people that have decided they're just sick of this, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm saying surrender. Yeah. So like the only thing you can do is be awesome no matter what is all I'm trying to say, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just be awesome. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, I, which which is you know it's frustrating advice, but like I you know I can remember plenty of friends from film school who just were distraught over the fact that filmmaking is filled with rejection and that it's an uphill battle and that it's really competitive. And I think film school really nurtures you know a plus golden children. You know, like in order to get into a lot of those schools, you have to have really great grades. You have to have really great test scores. And you probably came from means. And, you know, there's a lot like life had been pretty good for everybody. And then all of a sudden they were smacked in the face. And I guess I just have never had a ton of patience for people who are surprised that filmmaking is competitive and hard just because they're used to being the best at everything, you know? And I'm, certainly I'm not saying that that is Emilio's situation, but I guess, you know, to to my whinier contemporaries, <laughs> like, I don't know, grow up, guys. Yeah. You know, there's this thing you always hear in like screenwriting circles, uh, which is like good material will bubble. It's will find its way to the top, you know, and I think that's true of obviously directing, you know, features and shorts and spec commercials and all that stuff, too. Like, it's not like. My wife and I sit down and we want to watch something on TV and we're like, there's a thousand people, everyone's or a thousand shows. Everyone says we must watch. We're like, oh, we've seen all the big ones. We need another one. You know, like like there's room 
for more good things. You know, if there were five more seasons of Game of Thrones right now, we would watch all of it in a heartbeat, you know? So that's the other thing. It's like, keep working on your craft, on your relationships, make stuff that you really love, that other people love. And it doesn't matter who you're competing against. Like people will watch it if it's, you know, worth watching. Yeah. And, and I think that moves into our, the second half of this question of like, how do you stand out? Right. And I think Emilio, he emailed as well. He mentioned that, you know, he's looking to kind of bounce back and forth between doing narrative work commercials the way that we do. And, you know, I think that that is the way that you stand out, I think tends to be through a passion project and through networking and through diligence right you know i was writing and directing my own stuff for you know years genuinely years before i got paid to do it and Oren, you know so you were crewing around you had like job jobs and stuff yeah have i ever told you about my aunt cpr company I saw it coming. Uh, for people who can't see Orange's face, which is uh, everyone besides me, I saw. I give him a really hard time about that story. But but skipping past that, the, all, your stuff for Super Deluxe is a good example. So that was a, just a website out there that was like spending money on you know sketches and stuff, and like you know you didn't really make any money. I assume, or maybe you made some, but certainly not enough to like quit your job you know, and it's just incremental. It's like you do a good job on one thing and people hear about you and, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't, like you stand out by, you can stand out in a lot of different ways. You can make something and win Sundance and that's like the the hardest way to stand out. But you can also stand out as always like upping the production value or level of something like someone's like, hey, I need this quick commercial for my little company and you make it look like a freaking million dollar commercial a score and the color grade and all those things that you like had a friend that's an intern at company three and you got the most amazing color you shot it on alexa lf whatever you know there's that way like oh every time we hire emilio he like makes this look and feel way better you know it's edited better it's or maybe you know there's something about performances that like like i know this guy michael mohan like a friend slash director he would make these like no budget movies and videos and the performance, it, they felt like documentaries, but they were all actors, like a hundred percent scripted. And he just has a way of getting these like really amazing performances. And, you know, he, he did play Sundance. I don't think he, I don't know if he won at Sundance, but like just stand out in whatever way you think you're good at standing out. You know, I think we've seen a lot of Emilio's work and it's really good. And yeah, I think you, he has like a knack for casting and finding putting together big casts and a lot of interesting people and, you know, just keep doing it. And people, when they need that, they'll think of you. So, yeah, I know that that is frustrating advice for everyone at home listening, but the, it is the, the honest truth. And I think that some of that means being opportunistic, right? Like whatever market you're in and whatever the, you know, the uh, landscape is like, you know, Orin and I cut our teeth doing funny videos for the internet because that it was the opportunity and we both loved that and had a knack for it but like that's it was also the thing that anybody was making money on you know you could do that or you could do like music videos and that was kind of it right um uh, you know Warren, it, it makes me think of something that i, I talked to a, an old uh friend and development executive who's just moved into a new phase of her career and she said something that i have been excited to tell you and that's 
I was talking about breaking into television and doing more TV. I was talking about all the shows that I'd done and this and that. And, you know, she had, uh, she was the executive on a show that I love, 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 love. That I think kind of flew under the radar and it was a little, I wish I could have directed an episode or two of it. But the thing that she told me point blank was like, look, the first person who has a say on whether or not a director is hired for an episode of television is the show creators. And they don't give a flying flip about whether or not you have experience. They don't care. What they care about is if they saw your calling card and they thought it was cool and the special thing that you did for that calling card, whether it was a short or a feature or your own TV show or whatever, or a music video, you know, I'm thinking about like Hiro Marai or somebody like that. The, the special thing that they did, that you did on your own project, they want you to do for their TV show. They want to, how, how do you elevate? And then an executive says, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Oren is really good at that stuff. That, that His short's awesome, cool. Can I give him millions of dollars and, and have him run a, a set? We'll see. And then they look at your IMDb and see. And then, then the experience becomes important. But the number one thing is standing out with your own work. And that uh, is going to continue to evolve and grow. And calling cards only last so long. You know, Squaresville was intended to be a, a calling card. That was like my web series from about 10 years ago. Not really going to cut the mustard anymore, even though there's still plenty about it that is special and good and I'm proud of. Yeah, and it's um, different so, for every show. So that's show another too. thing to think about. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like we had Micah Fitzerman Blue on, who was a producer on um, Transparent, and they hired Muriel Heller to direct, and he said that they just, she was great with performances and they actually didn't really care that much about cameras and camera moves and all that. Not that she's not good at those things, but that was the thing they were looking at. Like, look at the performances and the relationships she has with actors. Like for this show, that is what we're looking for. You know, if you're doing an episode of, you know, some action show or something or like a military show or something else or a courtroom show, you might, the priorities might be different. You might need to be really good at coverage or fast talking or whatever, but yeah. Okay, well, I hope uh, we've convinced you to uh, leave filmmaking to make <laughs> more room for us. I'm just kidding. Thanks for writing, Emilio. All right. So our next question comes from George. He loves our podcast. Thanks, George. Uh, let's listen to his question. Hey, what's happening, Matt and Oren? This is George VK. I absolutely love your podcast. Just shoot it. I've been listening for a little while. First time caller. And I do have a question for the both of you. I'm curious to know what was the one big domino that you knocked down in your filmmaking career that you felt was the turning point in your creativity, in your business acumen? What was that one big domino you knocked down that allowed the rest of the dominoes to start getting knocked down as well? My Twitter handle is actually Instagram is probably best filmmaker dot secrets. Uh, again, this is George VK. Uh, I'm a founder of Filmmaker Secrets, longtime listener of the Just Shoot It pod. Appreciate you. Love you. Hope to speak to you soon. Bye. Okay, so it sounds like uh, the the core of this question from George is uh, what was that one big domino? What was the thing that began your filmmaking career in earnest. And I, I think that's different than what was the first thing you got paid on, right? Like, 
it's more what what's the thing that really meant that you could do this professionally and i can think of mine i I think it was two dominoes in a row which i think is actually probably pretty common i think yeah that's uh, how dominoes work (laughs) that is true but but if the second one hadn't fallen you know like if the first domino wasn't it's there the sum of those two dominoes is the force that was the trajectory that kept me going um and they were both uh branded pieces for college humor and um the first one was a success views wise got a lot of views and then the second one was a scale wise got huge was really really huge and also was delivered creatively and so that was like oh okay like this guy can handle big productions and he gets a lot of views and so there you go but that you know probably took i don't know a decade give or take and what do you feel like was different after those two things well then i was actually really working i'd been paid to direct things before but there, i couldn't make a living doing it and and those those two jobs also coincided with me quitting my comedy central job so it was kind of like the stars were aligning in that like oh this college humor was my first real relationship with a company that was high profile enough that it was going to be meaningful you know that people were going to see my work and that there were going to be a few jobs a year that were you know going to kind of keep some gas in the tank and um and also lead to additional work those first two jobs i could be like hey this one got 16 million views and hey this one is for a huge it was for coke it was the second spot and like that's a huge recognizable brand and then you're like oh okay well then he can do you can do this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I feel like in a way I haven't knocked over that domino yet because I have heard interviews, you know, people that say like, oh, when, you know, um, I heard like David O. Russell one time say like that something clicked and that's when he felt like he was a filmmaker, you know, like, and I, I've heard other filmmakers, even actors say like when I booked this, like, you know, David Diggs talks about like Hamilton, you know, like. And that's where he became he became a household name. So I think there's like these dominoes that have made people famous all of a sudden. And now they're getting offers and they're just on fire. But in most cases, even when like a big domino falls, like we had, you know, the, our friends, the Pierce brothers, they had the wretched number one movie in the theater, like much bigger dominoes started falling. But they're still like writing and pitching and hustling and waiting for green lights and like like, I don't know, do you count that as their domino? They had done another big movie before that that was like a yeah. festival darling, you know? Well, I think that George's question is about turning your creativity into your livelihood. And I think both you and I would argue that we would love more livelihood. You know, we would love to level up, certainly. And there were many, many rungs on that ladder, right? Yeah. Like, I think the, fir- the first one is the first time you get paid. The second one maybe is like something with bigger visibility. The third one is when you can finally go full time. The fourth one is when you get like, you make your first feature. The f- and the, like, maybe they're, maybe you're jumping around. Maybe right. the fe- feature happens well, first a, or later that, or whatever. That's the thing. I'm but, not, you know, like. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that I'm not, that I'm disappointed with like the dominoes. I'm just saying. I guess the boring answer for the dominoes is like every, you know, every job is a little bit bigger than the one before, you know, the big domino, the like overnight success story is like, what's that biggest domino that took you from, you know, like level three on the Richter scale to seven, you know, 
for your next yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't like I did this commercial, this Jeep commercial with Tim Meadows that was accidentally handed to me, you know, and it was pretty big. It was like a union spot. It was with Tim Meadows. We shot on the Universal backlot. We shot on the Disney lot. I didn't even have to pitch on it. I didn't write a treatment. I didn't anything. It was because of some weird logistics that it had one YouTube element to it. It was given to this digital department of, you know, this company that my friends were doing work for. And they're like, oh, Warren, you've done some comedy stuff. Let's do this. You know, like now, like I haven't really shot anything, shot things at similar budgets, but I haven't shot on the Universal Backlot, you know, since then. And that was like, I don't know, four or five years ago. But when I was at Disney, worked at Disney, we shot on the Disney Backlot a lot, but it didn't seem like a big deal back then because we were at Disney. Like you shot Warner Brothers a lot. But so... I think if if I really need to like look inside myself and think what's the biggest change I made that affected my career was, and again, this is going to sound obvious, but I think it's really important and applies more to people right at the beginning of their career, but is introducing myself as a director instead of as an aspiring filmmaker or someone that like does everything, writes, directs, edits. And that's like, to me, the thing that was like a change in attitude that all of a sudden when I meet people, they think of me as a director and they I'm on in their mind when they want to hire a director. Sure. A lot of times they might think like, Oh, I'm not a big enough director. But to me, that's like the biggest domino in my life. If I'm choosing to interpret your question in my way. I think that's great. I think that there's a couple things I want to unpack there. So you introducing yourself as a director, I think that that is really sound advice and really good. And probably maybe the most important first big domino. I think it's worth pointing out though, that when I was at Comedy Central, let's say, just using myself as an example, everyone knew that I was directing. I was, you know, winning awards and, you know, looked like shit because I'd been shooting all weekend and had just dropped gear off on a Monday morning. And, you know, people knew, people knew. And not once did anyone think about hiring me to direct anything, right? And it's because the way that you are seen, when the way that you are first introduced to people is the way that they think of you in perpetuity, more or less, right? Like you really have to like come back 10 years later with an Oscar in your hand for them to be like, oh, we should ask Matt, you know, right? And so that the part of what you're saying is like, it's a gear shift, but it's also introducing yourself to new clients and new people and networking with people and saying like, this is what I do so that they think of you as a director first and not as the guy who is going to get them coffee, right? And all of the people who you got copy for that probably there's a few special ones out there who will nurture your career and be helpful for the vast majority of those people are just going to think of you as copy guy for forever. Um, The other thing that I think is worth pointing out is that big job that you got the Tim Meadows commercial and my Coke commercial, both of them, there was a degree of luck that helped things escalate into something bigger and better, right? Like, I think what you're trying to say is like, if you had pitched on that Jeep commercial, there would have been other directors who probably had more experience and a better reel who would have gotten that commercial from you, right? But because it sort of fell into your lap and sort of leveled your way up and kind of grew with you, and certainly that would be, I don't want to put that on you necessarily, but with my co-commercial, we did not think it was going to be as big as it was when it first started. And slowly client was like, oh, this needs to be SAG. Oh, we're all going to come out. Oh, that means we need more motorhomes. Oh, that means, you know, oh, they want to shoot it over two days. All of that stuff slowly, you know, um, got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden it was the biggest thing that I'd ever done. But so being ready for that luck 
I think is a part of it as well. And that's not a thing you can plan for, you know, like sometimes that doesn't happen, but I think those early lucky things are, are part of it. I guess I have one more domino in my career that I get, that I, I'd like to mention. It's even earlier in my career, but I was, you know, so I was making a lot of YouTube videos when I started and comedy things and whatever, I had a couple of things go kind of viral by back, you know, 15 years ago standards. And I did make some shows for Super Deluxe, which pretty much nobody watched because nobody really watched Super Deluxe, only people that worked for Comedy Central. <laughs> but the one thing that came out of that, well, A, we had a little bit of a budget, I think. If I remember correctly, we got like $20,000 to shoot like five episodes of, you know, five three-minute episodes of a show. So, Which for, I remember, especially at the that time and at that age, that sounded like so much money. Yeah, it was more than I we was, got from I was, film, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so envious. Like the people who had super deluxe shows, I was like, I can't believe it. You guys have made it. Yeah, and the first one I got to direct was just because I was dating a girl that sold the show to them. And the director was became unavailable. And I had made all these YouTube videos. But that wasn't the domino. The domino was that someone at this new company called FanLib, which eventually became part of Disney, Chris Williams, saw one of my super deluxe shows and said, hey, you know, I'm starting a new website with, that does web series. Like, will you come interview? And I went and I interviewed and he said, he made me like an offer on the spot and it was really weird because I didn't, wasn't ready for that type of commitment at the time. But I ended up taking the job at Disney. And once I was there, and again, we hear this from like a lot of our guests that did promos and things like, like I would show up to set and there would be motorhomes, you know, and we, it was all, it was back when SAG after new media, you could basically hire anyone you want, pay them nothing. It was crazy. You can still do that. It's pretty messed up. Yeah. I guess, I guess for narrative stuff, but I don't know if Disney can still yeah. do that. Um, yeah, yeah. They can because all of those uh, contracts have been grandfathered in. Oh, wow. It's quite messed up. Well, anyway, so I was working with top tier talent. We had casting directors. I had a writer's room. You know, uh, the woman that ran our writer's room, Amy, was like, you know, written Girls Just Want to Have Fun. She was a writer on Sex in the City, a writer on 90210. It was like all of a sudden I felt like I was surrounded by these people that were like in the big leagues. And we'd show up to set and they'd be like, you want a dolly? I'd be like, sure. You know, and I'd been a dolly group. I knew about them, but I hadn't had them on my own shoots before. And we were doing, our budgets were like 85 grand a day and we would shoot like three or four days, you know? And so somebody trusted me just because they liked what I shot on like the DVX 100 with my friends in an apartment, you know? Um, and so I guess I was never intimidated because everyone just treated me like I belonged there. And I was surrounded with all sorts of film school people, you know, a lot of was USC and AFI people that all were used to using that big equipment. But I think for me, that was probably the biggest domino that took me from like someone that shoots videos in their apartment to someone that works with real actors and real crews and real budgets. Not that they're huge budgets, but you know, better than the like free budgets that I was working on. And, and it, yeah, 85 grand a day plus a lot of things were amortized, I imagine. I, yeah, I doubt the whole you crew were spent, was like you the renting the camera. Yeah, yeah we yeah, owned exactly. our own Red MX. Yeah. So it's it, that's cool. So uh, look, hey, listeners at home, you're you're hearing both of our stories, and you're saying, "Oh, you two fuckers just got lucky," and that is true. That is a hundred percent accurate. There was a lot of luck, but Orin's, you know, nodding his head a little bit. The other thing that is important is that the things that we did to get to capitalize on that luck, the things of like making things and showing them to people, I think is a is a teachable thing, uh, and then. Also, it's hard to express how uncool it was 
to make web series <laughs> at the time. It was not glamorous. It was not. It was hard. And also, like I remember at Comedy Central, the reason that they wouldn't hire me to direct other things is because it was for nerds. It was <laughs> like, like it was not. Orange rolling his eyes a little bit, but it, it it's hard to express how you know and this is true for independent film this was true yeah for music it was like videos, a click of like commercials or tv or even once upon a time yeah it was a click of geeks but what i'm saying is, is that like all of the people who thought that they were awesome and like knew what they were doing and were worthwhile and were expensive all those expensive people were doing other things they were doing network television they were doing features etc yeah like you and would so this that would be a, stooping down to the internet to do internet shows right exactly yeah yeah, yeah. people would turn their nose up as, at us is what i'm getting at it was non-union it was you didn't get paid you often spent your own money some of it was really bad a lot of it was really bad but we had the hustle and the luck to see an opportunity and to say hey i think that you could make something cool here if you you know, tried hard and like crap practiced. And like, I talk about Squaresville a lot, but I had two other web series of full seasons of shows. I had a show about being engaged. I had a show about a recluse in the mountains called mountain man that I made hours of content with like trying my hardest that no, no one has seen. Yeah. I think we have the, because I did not go to film school, I didn't even really understand this idea of any sort of prestige in filmmaking. I just like, Oh sure. Enjoy filming things, making stuff. And the fact that there was like Disney was involved or like a name that of a company that actually heard of was a big Well, what I'm saying is, is that that I'm saying all of this stuff before that, like making funny internet videos with your friends in the, in your apartment. I think there were people who were like, well, if it's not shot on film, then you're wasting your time. Like to me, it didn't seem realistic to be, that anyone I knew would do TV shows or anything. I think, you know, you kind of were in a little like different circles. Well, and newsflash, most of them didn't. Do you know, most of those snobs just like, uh, became agents or doctors, you know, a few of them stuck around, but, uh, but a lot of them didn't, you know? Yeah. I guess my last point I want to make to George though, about the dominoes, is that even though that was a big domino getting to work at Disney and working with real budgets and union crews and all that stuff, you're union actors. Still today, which is like, again, like 10 years later, I don't know when I left Disney, I work on non, non-union shoots with non-union actors with, you know, on occasion, smaller budgets than that. So it's like the dominoes are getting bigger and smaller throughout, you know, but maybe the job I'm in Philadelphia for is a pretty big job. And then I... I think I have a union thing coming up, maybe. I just had a union thing. You know, I, I'm kind of like going in and out of the things, but but there, it's not like a big domino leads to all the biggest dominoes. Yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. That's accurate. And uh, and that happens when you're in features. That happens when you're in TV shows. You know, you could be the directing producer on a hit show, and then, like, you know, it could get canceled. And then, you know, maybe you're on a show that no one watches. Or maybe you're on a, you sell a show and it ends up on a streaming platform that no one watches. Yeah, you make four seasons for pop TV that nobody watches and then all of a sudden win like every Emmy and Golden Globe Award there is. Oh, Shit's Creek. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great example. Like uh, a show kind of under the radar and then finally people figure it out, you know. So it's all over the place, guys, you know. 
highs and lows and you just kind of have to enjoy yourself the whole way through and if you keep making stuff and keep putting yourself out there uh things will get incrementally better we hope yeah but maybe george just for you some of our future guests will ask them what their big domino was as well yeah it's a great question yeah well matt before before we say goodbye i'm wondering if you're willing to Stick around for maybe some unpaid endorsements. Yeah, I'd love to endorse. Unpaid endorsements. So the first, the first one is this video I saw about electrical outlets. You know what an electrical outlet looks like, right? When it's not in the wall, when you're holding it in your hand. You mean like it's like a it's like a box, basically. Yeah, a box with like uh, some screw holes at the top that you put in. You know, before you put the plate on top of it. So did you know that the way they they shape the metal? Uh, that's on the top and the bottom of the outlet there's these weird little slots in it you know it's like and a lot and it kind of looks like somewhere you would maybe screw the screw into or if you're trying to adjust the placement of an outlet in the wall but it's actually not that i just found out that those slots built into every outlet you buy in america are actually wire strippers you can take an electrical wire stick it in that slot twist it around and pull it down and it will strip your wire so if you need if you don't have the tools the electrical outlet actually has the tool for wire stripping built into it, which is just That's so cool. cool when people build products that have tools built into them to help you install or use that product better. So so the other thing is, you know, I have the Sony a7S III and it has this really cool feature that I used on a shoot a little while ago and I've been meaning to talk about it, but it's got this Wi-Fi tethering. A lot of cameras have a way to connect them to like a laptop so that while you're filming, people can see them, you know, with the HDMI cable or like a USB cable or something, even right now you're, you're using, mm-hmm. actually, is this your webcam or is this your, no, this is my, your Canon, a 60D. Yeah. Yeah. So forever people have been, you know, photographers while they're taking photos so the client can see on the iMac screen or whatever, what the photos look like. Well, the a7S three has the Wi-Fi version of it. So you can be filming and someone can be on their laptop and they can see it all. They can even change like the exposure and do things totally wirelessly. And it works really well. It's really awesome. Any latency or no? Like a tiny bit of latency. Like I, you know, I wouldn't like maybe the sound isn't like frame perfect. But if you have a client, like if you want to monitor a Sony A7S III and you can't like connect anything to it, like let's say you're throwing it up in the air or dropping it from something and putting it somewhere high or it's just a one man band type of thing. It's like just you and a director and you're shooting or you it just works really well. And it's one of those things that I think hasn't worked well, like has been around for a while, like this wireless tethering or been really expensive, like Teradex and, you know, kind of complicated, like thousands of dollars worth of equipment to get it to work well, this wireless monitoring, but the Sony just has it built in. So just a laptop and a Sony and you got a wireless monitor. um, That's pretty cool. Really cool. That's pretty cool. um, what do you got, Matt? Awesome. So I've got uh, an Etsy shop. I, I sent you the link. You should take a look. So, um, this is courtesy of my wife, Christine Weatherup, uh, christineweatherup.com. So this is uh, the Etsy shop by a casting director named Jessica Sherman. She has mugs mostly, but I think there's t-shirts and stuff there as well. And they are very funny if you are in the biz. I got my wife an offer only mug. It says oh, I saw only. that on Instagram. Yeah, a lot of positive feedback. Very funny. So offer only, obviously. Has she been getting offers since then? Yeah, just like they've been rolling in. Um, There's a few other ones that are great. There's one that says tech avail. These are all like casting director jokes, basically. And my favorite one is one that says, uh, in quotes, we need a really good actor. 
<laughs> um, and then it's attributed to producers everywhere because that is a thing that people say with a straight face all the time. For this role, we need a really good actor to <laughs> yeah. pull this off. No, I mean, pe- and it's, I, I have people say that once a week. Um, I love this mug they have. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence isn't doing your short film. <laughs> that's and where does that come from? Uh, respectfully passing. Yeah, that's because every short filmmaker hires a casting director and is like, "Hey, I think J- Jennifer Lawrence would be really great for this. She'd be right for this." Yeah, I, I think it's you know it's about like uh, an empowered woman. Maybe she'll be into it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think she'd really understand. I think she'd really get it. Uh, respectfully passing. That's what people say when Jennifer Lawrence's agent is like, no, I'm not going to do your short film. Jennifer is respectfully passing. She wouldn't get back to you probably, but who knows? And so uh, Etsy.com slash shop slash casting life away. Uh, Jessica is a working casting director and um, also very funny. So shout out, Jessica. Well done. Uh, so that's uh, that's my endorsement. Oh, awesome. Well, if you want to check out the uh, links to the things that we talked about on the show, you can go to justshootapod.com where you can peruse all of our other back episodes. This is episode 277, so there's a lot of good stuff back there. And you can follow us across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. Our social media maestro, Derek Aiello, is doing a great job of resurfacing pertinent and interesting old episodes that maybe have some resonance with the things that we're talking about now so that's really nice too that's a good reason to follow along and I honestly maybe an episode you missed don't know how he figures out which old episodes feature do you I yeah I think he's just smart I think he's like oh I thematically this is what they talked about this week and so you know maybe it's a person who was on a show or maybe we referenced somebody or uh, you know I thought he did such a good job we were talking about like finding your voice and so he featured a conversation with Zane Rubin who is an indie filmmaker who has such a distinct voice and we talked to her about that you know there, there's some recurring themes and so I think he just kind of probably zeroes in on them but it's all it's all Derek and that's all your Patreon money uh, keeping Derek afloat uh, we're, we're paying him <laughs> Derek is on a raft crumbs. and uh, yeah. we inflate it Every time we get a new patron. Well, it, it genuinely is appreciated. So anyway, uh, also speaking of people that you're keeping afloat, our editor, Sarah Weirda, edited this episode. Doing a great job. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Um, so you can follow Matt on across all social media at Mr. Matt Enlow. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at O'Kaplan, on Twitter at Smitey Pileg. And uh, the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the Artist Jazar. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, folks. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.